Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mount Shoup. And I'm Coach John Shoup. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. Hello, I'm Matt Bush, the news director for Blue Ridge Public Radio. I also produce Going Deep along with the Shoops. And this episode is all about coaching in college and in the pros. Thankfully, one of our hosts has done both. And we begin with some basic but complicated questions for John. Which was easier? And which was more attractive to you? Hmm. Well, now I also coach in high school. Oh, you get all three levels. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Perhaps high school (laughs) is the best, although not the best paying. You know, there's a lot of differences between coaching professional football and college football. And I thought it was a lot more difficult to win in professional football than in college monumentally more difficult to put that in perspective nick saban who's got an unbelievable winning percentage in college was 17 and 19 uh in the nfl as a head coach we could go down a long list of great college head coaches who didn't cut it in the nfl guys like lou holtz steve spurrier saban petrino as of late, even Greg Schiano, who was a fine college coach. Perhaps the primary difference to me is endurance. When you get into the NFL, you have got to have mental, physical, spiritual endurance. That season is so long. And we used to joke that college coaches, even if it was an assistant on our staff, once Thanksgiving rolled around, these guys were ready to mail it in. These guys thought the season was over. These guys wanted to get on a plane and go recruiting. And really, we, you know, in the NFL, you remember December. Uh, December is the season, is the last quarter of the season when everything happens. And that's when a lot of college coaches, when they first make that jump, don't have that sense of endurance. The other thing that separates college and the NFL is, this is the analogy I make. College, while there's coaches that are hyper-organized, college is more like playing jazz music. People show up, you kind of set a, 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 you kind of set a tempo and people kind of fall into that tempo. The NFL is like an elite symphony. If there's one missed note, you lose the game. And everybody is so fine-tuned. In college, really, there's an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and everybody else on the staff is really a recruiter. You know, they really are. I mean, they coach a position, but that's like a lateral duty to them almost. And so 
the coordinators really coach the offense and defense and do the best they can with regards to technique and everything like that. But I tell you, in the NFL, every single position is coached so hard, and there's no freelancing. There's no – I think the comparison of an elite symphony in the NFL – to kind of jazz music that's still good, that's still fun, that still uh, is a fair one. I'm wondering about just when you think about head coaches, though, and the the dynamic of, you know, team chemistry and and the things that a head coach really spends – well, I'm going to I'm going to use the male pronoun his time doing because most all of them are men in the NFL. Um, I do think part of of what is different and why some people just can't get much traction in the NFL is is the power dynamic with the players and somebody like a Nick Saban who's used to really being the general the the person who you know can just yell at players and they'll do what he says um that doesn't work real well in the nfl because <laughs> i mean those guys are are getting paid sometimes more than you and and everybody is pretty much really professional um and I know there are coaches in the NFL that are yellers and screamers, but generally that's not what really creates um, an atmosphere in the NFL of a winning season. Because, like John said, it's so long and you're so tired, and everybody's a commodity and they know it. There's no there's no facade in the NFL. It's a business. So I I mean the head coaches that we know who've been very successful in the NFL and college are professionals. They they behave like professionals, wouldn't you say? Definitely. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a conference um given a talk and another person who was given a talk was an assistant coach with the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA basketball and he and I were visiting after and I just found his talk fascinating and how they you know drill players and players work to get better when someone came up to him and said you know, it must be great to coach in the NBA. Those guys are amazing athletes, and you just roll out the ball and let them play. And I thought to myself, nothing could be further from the truth. In the NFL and, as I see it, in the NBA, players don't get there unless they want to be coached on everything. The hardest working players I've ever been around are the best players. And to get in the NFL and to get in the NBA, there's more coaching with regards to technique, with regards to scheme, with regards to uh, time management in the game in one drive or one trip down the court than there is in an entire game in college. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. In fact, I can remember uh, my first game in college football – when I went to the University of North Carolina, we scored a touchdown on the third play of the game, and I thought to myself, this is so easy. <laughs> you know, and uh, college football is a lot 
easier in many ways than prose. Here's the thing, and I agree with what you're saying, Marcia. The control and the power differential with the coaches is what matters a great deal. Nick Saban, when he was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, uh, had a 17-19 and 19 record. And his last year there, a, guy, a quarterback named Drew Brees was a free agent from the San Diego Chargers. And Drew Brees had a deal set to go to the Miami Dolphins. Everybody thought, including Nick Saban, everybody thought Drew Brees was going to be a Miami Dolphin. And boy, the course of the Saints and Drew Brees' career and Nick Saban's career might have taken a different, Mm -hmm. (laughs) might have gone a different route. What happened is there was a doctor for the Miami Dolphins who would not pass Drew on a physical because he had just had surgery. Frankly, I can't remember if it was his knee or his soldier, shoulder, but he just had surgery. And the New Orleans Saints said, we'll pass him on his physical. And the guy who holds many NFL passing records right now, instead of going to Miami, went to New Orleans. I had friends that were on that staff at Miami, and they said that was probably the biggest issue at Miami that drove Nick out of pro coaching. In the state of Alabama, Nick Saban can snap his fingers and whatever he says goes, Mm -hmm. really throughout the entire southeast, whatever he says goes. In the NFL, you don't have complete power over everything. And so you've got to try to form consensus. You've got to try to win people's opinions over. You don't get to just say, this is how it is. You can say, this is how I want it to be, and then convince the general manager, convince the the owner, owner, convince the players that this is the way to do it. And so when you go to college... You don't have any. You you don't have any convincing to do. You are really like a, a a king in a fiefdom that just says, "Here's what we're doing. If you don't like it, everybody hit the road," and that's been a really really big difference. Yeah. Between the two. Yeah, and it seems like along with that comes again back to the power dynamics. Um, I don't think I'm saying anything radical here to say that that head coaches in professional sports and I mean big time sports have sizable egos that I mean that's not mm-hmm. news to anybody right um and that the the kind of again the psychology of the way the game works in the pros um is is very different and it feed and it doesn't feed the ego the same way I don't think just because like you said you're not it's not the same kind of pecking order where you know you you know that if you don't like something it's it's not going to have to be that way I'm wondering it feels like there's some other factors too that that create the right kind of um, player coach rapport like I think about a Dick Duran. Um, he didn't really 
coach in college, right? He was never a head coach in college. But the rapport that he had with players in the NFL, he there was a mutual regard that they had. He 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 never um, you know, kind of discounted that they were equals really. They were colleagues. And that's so different than the dynamic with a college coach and his players. That's very different. And, you know, when I was a young coach, I started in the NFL and then went to college. That's an unusual way to do it. Most people start in college and then go to the NFL. And so I'm not saying that coaching in the NFL is, is negotiating, but coaching in the NFL is luring a player to a technique that you really believe in and then proving to that player that this is the correct and effective way to do it. I can remember when I was a young coach in the NFL, uh, we had a quarterback at the Carolina Panthers named Steve Berline. And Steve was a great quarterback at, at Notre Dame, had been in the league for a long time. And I was 26 years old when I was named the quarterback's coach there, and Steve called me into a room. He was about five, He is about five years older than I am. And he said, just so we're clear, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. None of that matters. If you can help me get better, I'll listen to every word you say. But the second I think that you're BSing me or you can't help me get better, I'll tune you out. And Steve, to this day, I consider a great friend, and we worked really, really well together, and he had some unbelievably productive years, but I did. I felt a great deal of pressure in the NBA. These guys feel a great deal of pressure when you have a guy like LeBron James, when you have a superstar athlete to keep them engaged over the length of a, a, a season, to keep them interested, to stimulate them, to... Uh, show them new drills. You know, it's one thing when you're in college and you do the same drill for three years. If you're in the NFL and you're doing the same drill for 12 years, you're like, hey, we got to freshen this up. We got to do some different things. And so in the NFL also, there's a sense of you're not recruiting the same way you are in college. So as a coach, you're always working on your craft. And your craft Mm -hmm. in the NFL as a coach is is getting the best out of elite athletes. We started this conversation, Matt, with, with you saying... Is it easier or is it more attractive now? I guess we'll get to that and let's go to that. Is it more attractive now to look at coaching in the pros? Obviously, John Beeline has left. Dabo Sweeney is hinted. Maybe someday See. he will. Uh, is it more attractive now because I think one of the issues that's brought up, whether it's true or not, is the increased amount of player movement in college that's allowed now because of graduate transfers or the transfer portal in general. Yeah. See, um, I just, I guess I just want to call BS on that. Okay. Because I, for one thing, when you get to the pros, you will get dizzy with all the player movement. I mean, it's, <laughs> there, there are very few players that you feel like, Hey, we're gonna we're in this together for the long haul because one of you is probably gonna leave within an eighteen month span. I mean, so I, I want to call BS on that being about player movement, and and I do think that gets back to what every single point we've made comes down to, and that is power. 
And I think part of what Adabo Sweeney is is complaining about or saying is changing about the college game is his ability to control the movement of players, his ability to to um, to prevent players from being a thorn in his side by leaving and going to a competing team or whatever it is that is bothering him. If he can't take that at that level in college, which it's not, it's not like everybody's doing it. If he can't take that level of that, when he gets to the NFL and he realizes there's no loyalty, there's no uh, contracts that can't be broken, there's no player that's going to choose you, coach, over a better contract. That that does not happen. Then he is not that he does not have what it takes to be in the NFL and be successful. I mean, to, that's why I want to call BS on that being why you would go to the NFL. It, that's not gonna right. Get I think we, we looked at this earlier, and I think we named all the coaches who had come directly from the NCAA to the NFL. I think we've only found three that have won that Super were, Bowls that were successful. Right, Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carroll, and then Barry Switzer, who we can argue was probably not as great a professional coach, really just one with Jimmy Johnson's teams and Neil O'Donnell finding Larry Brown in the numbers twice at Super Bowl Thirty. So the list of people who have done it successfully, or at least to a championship level, is very, very small. And does that have to do with that of just... It's well, a different mindset, or is it a power dynamic, or do they come in mm-hmm. thinking, I can still be that that guy that can just control everything and just doesn't work that way? Well, the three guys that you said, Pete Carroll, Jimmy mm-hmm. Johnson, and Barry Switzer, I can take each one of them and tell you why it was a unique situation. Go ahead. We'll start with Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was a longtime NFL coach mm-hmm. before he ever became – the head coach at Southern Cal, where he had a great run. Mm -hmm. In fact, Pete's more of a story of a pro coach not having a great deal of success going to college and then having success. That's probably more of the story. When Pete came back to the NFL, that's kind of where Pete had his roots, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so... When Pete became the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, it wasn't his first rodeo in the NFL. In fact, he had 20 years under his belt already. And he'd been a head coach in the NFL. He has for the New England (laughs) Patriots. He preceded uh, Bill Belichick and uh, didn't didn't last very long. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's important to note, and that separates him from guys like Lou Holtz, Steve Spurrier, Bobby Petrino, and that sort. Now, Jimmy Johnson is an interesting story. Jimmy Johnson was a longtime head coach at Oklahoma State, and then he went to Miami of Florida, where they became the U, so-called, you know, I mean, they had amazing teams. And he went to the Dallas Cowboys, but he went to the Dallas Cowboys during this transition when the Dallas Cowboys were going from uh, a, an old family ownership to Jerry Jones was just coming into the league. Jerry Jones is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And he was the brand new owner who really didn't know what he was doing. 
And so Jimmy Johnson, when he became the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, had complete and total control of the roster. That's unusual. And Jimmy Johnson uh, actually conducted one of the biggest trades in all of the NFL in that the Dallas Cowboys had a running back named Herschel Walker, who's one of the all-time great college players and even a fine NFL player as well. But they traded him uh, to the Minnesota Vikings for like seven players. And, and I don't know how many draft picks. And how many, Yeah, I mean, just an enormous amount. Right. But this... The fact that Jimmy had control to do that made his situation unique. And so the control dynamic that Marsha has, has mentioned, at least on the side of player personnel, Jimmy had that uh, at Dallas. And that's rare, though. That's, that's very that rare. And, I don't, and I, you mentioned the Herschel Walker trade, how much of an impact that ended up having on the Cowboys. Teams don't make those sorts of deals anymore. They no, realize no, no. that one probably was the last one will ever happen because they saw how bad, mm-hmm. how badly lopsided that trade was. Right, and it's interesting because Jimmy Johnson ultimately, after a great run, quit the Dallas Cowboys. He he resigned, and the reason why is because the owner Jerry <laughs> fashioned himself as the general manager. And Mm -hmm. Jerry wanted to plug himself in and take some of that control away. And then he was replaced by Barry Switzer, who that's the third guy to have won a Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. who really just lasted two years. And one of those years, he won a Super Bowl with a team that Jimmy had built. Uh, Frankly, the three of us might have been able to take that team (laughs) to the Super Bowl. They were as talented as any team that there was. I think Barry Switzer is an aberration, right. but I think Pete Carroll and Jimmy Johnson had very specific scenarios that other college coaches going to the NFL don't have. Pete was an NFL coach, in fact, mm-hmm. and Jimmy had complete control for a spell until, as so happens in the NFL uh, and in college, and probably in just about anything, <laughs> people's egos got into it. And, uh, right. you know, I had, a, I had a coach say to me once, it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as it's me. <laughs> he actually said, said that. that. John Gruden actually <laughs> said that to me in a meeting room. I thought he was kidding. He actually said, men, it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as it's me. And then I started laughing, and I got elbowed by a guy named Art Valero, who was our tight ends coach. I was like, this is not a joke. Oh, my God. The guy's serious. That's a very interesting tidbit to share with all of our listeners. Fantastic. And there are now assistant coaches with the Raiders whom John Gruden might be saying he's that saying too. Right? Maybe he's There's saying no it to doubt. Antonio Brown right now. No doubt. I, I think one of my favorite things, though, was Al Davis. Al Davis was an honest, well. The, on, the owner of the Raiders. He was the owner of the Raiders and the Hall of Famer, really one of the architects of the NFL, but a legend. And Al Davis put his arm around me one day before a game. You know, uh, I was calling a game against the Houston Texans, and he was one of the few people in the NFL, maybe in all of 
my life that called me John. Most people would just say, shoot, shoot, you mm-hmm. know. And he said, John, just want you to know I love you. Win or win, I love you. <laughs> win or win. <laughs> I said, that's very clear. Yes, sir. <laughs> Well, even when we talk to the NFL, even look at the NBA, similarly, there have not been many coaches we were trying to, to go through and really, really struggled to find some coaches who had gone from the colleges, from college into the pros and had had any kind of success. We Basically, I think Brad Stevens, who was the coach at Butler, is now the head coach of the Boston Celtics, is probably the one who's had the best career, uh, at least recently, of coaches who have done that. And there's some big names who went from college to the pros and failed, mm-hmm. uh, Rick Pitino and John Calipari being two that probably jump right off the page at everybody. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be for similar reasons. It's, you know, college basketball is so much of a control, and you have so much control over the players. You have so much. You're so, the coach really is the identity of the team, whereas in the NBA, I'd probably struggle to name half the head coaches right, in the NBA right. right now. Well, I think this is an interesting point rick patino is often viewed as as a failure in the nba although initially he had some great success with the knicks part of the thing in the nf in the in professional sports is if you don't evolve then you kind of get beat up from the feet up in college you don't have to evolve as much because your players are, are rotating, you know, the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, you only have players for three years. Uh, Patrick Ewing wasn't going anywhere with those Knicks. Mark Jackson wasn't going anywhere with those Knicks teams that he coached. They were going to be there for a long spell. And so if Rick Pitino had evolved a little bit, I think this uh, uh, relates to some to the endurance I'm not sure he had the endurance. He, he had a quick spell in the, NF, in the NBA where they did well. But the endurance to do well over a long period of time, you need to be more than a personality. You need to be more than a great interview. You need to have absolute X's and O's technique substance. You need to be a person of substance. And it's my opinion that, you know, probably – Probably 90% of the college coaches I've been around wouldn't stand a chance of making it in the NFL because Mm -hmm. it is a technique and scheme-driven league. It's not a personality great interview league right there aren't many personalities really as as head coaches i think if you were to think who the biggest personality in nfl right now it's probably bill belichick and he's just known as being kind of just <laughs> and he's not, grumpy and he dour has no personality. <laughs> right and i mean john gruden has a personality and and that's a big part of what he brings mm-hmm. to the table and he has one super bowl but also a lot of losing seasons that's right and, and, a lot of places and we'll see how that plays mm-hmm. out in this new situation I'm not saying I haven't worked with people in the NFL that I thought, you know, weren't great coaches. But to get to the NFL, you better know your X's nose and your technique. To get to college, if you kind of talk a good game and can recruit people and recruiting is a huge recruiting and identity too. It's not just recruiting. I think it's identity too, right? Don't you want to? You know, how many Duke fans identify with this program of being Coach K's or UNC fans with Roy Williams or Alabama with Nick Saban or any other program that has that kind of identity? You know, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that coach who's so much of the identity. I, I've been shocked. There's certainly college coaches that I've been around couldn't draw a fundamental offense and defense. I mean, just the fundamental stuff. There's I've certainly been around college coaches that couldn't do that, and that was a shock to me going to college. Yeah. Well, the other factor in college too that. Um, can really breed success, but it's not going to get you far in the NFL is the way head coaches head coaches work with boosters in college. If if you have a guy like a Butch Davis or, you know, other other people that are so good with the boosters, I mean that is gold in college uh, revenue sports. That means you're going to get new facilities. That means you're going to have, um, you know, kind of world class weight room and trophy display and all the stuff that that schools want to say we're top tier. Those head coaches are working the boosters. That's what they spend a lot of their time doing. They're not big X's and O's guys. They're they're politicians, really. When I was at North Carolina. The athletic director was a man named Dick Bedour, and he used to talk about he always wanted a CEO-style head coach. And to me, that was a euphemism for a guy that doesn't know anything about football (laughs) but can just work the room. And frankly, he has that right now in Mac Brown. Mac Brown is not an X's nose guy. He's not at all. Mac Brown is a, a politician. The boosters love him. The, yeah. the boosters love him. A recruit's family will love him. He'll remember everybody's name. But I'm telling you right now, Mac Brown couldn't draw up stem to south right 762x shallow cross versus a adjacent linebacker fire zone if his life depended on it he didn't even know what i just said right there. and he doesn't I don't need either. to and he doesn't need to <laughs> he doesn't need to and i mean i think back on we've worked for some great head coaches in the nfl great men solid solid human beings your dom capers your dick durans your norv turners they don't want to be in a room with boosters. They want to be in a room with some film. They're the scientists in the <laughs> right. lab. Right. Yeah. I mean, they are technicians. Dom Capers wrote down every play ever called and what happened <laughs> and what the grass length was. And I, I mean, they, they would never guess, want to do that. And one more thing you brought up, and I want to ask, and we, we can begin to close out on this, is just how much do facilities matter in the pros versus college? Because you brought up how facilities, everyone hears about the University of Texas's lockers with the $10,000 and all that, or the couches and the in the rooms and in, in the training rooms and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the NFL, you don't really hear that much, hear anywhere near as much about facilities. And there's they're not all nice facilities. When, when I coached for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, <laughs> he we shared were, his office with some rats. I think. Yeah, we we were in a trailer. We were in trailers, and I used to have to throw rocks at the door to scatter these cats, and then I'd run in the door real quick. <laughs> Since then, they've torn down those trailers and built a new facility. And facilities are important in the NFL because they can help to lure free agents. 
But facilities in the NFL are nothing like the facilities that are in college, that are just playlands, recruiting tools, like a, a veneer. And that's, it's the boosters can then sit and say at their cocktail parties, right. look what I helped build, that, right? That's exactly right. We've used that when I was at North Carolina, uh, the player rooms and the recruiting rooms are used more for booster functions, cocktail parties, than they have than ever player. been used yeah. by a player, for well, sure. And, and the most important thing, I think, in terms of facilities in the NFL is really the stadiums. Because, Where you play on the Sunday, yeah. Because you want people to buy the luxury boxes and the tickets. That's more about revenue generation than it is mm-hmm. attracting players. And, I mean, a lot of pro players – Again, they're professionals, they're savvy, they're smart, they know what they're looking for. They are attracted to good coaches. Right, how about bringing a free agent in versus recruiting a high school player? I can remember, I think that I did a really good job of recruiting at North Carolina, but it was foreign to a lot of people. In the five years I was offensive coordinator at North Carolina, we had more offensive players drafted than any school in the country except for Southern Cal. And when they would come in on a recruiting visit, I treated it like a free agent visit. All I did was watch film with them and said, here's how we plan on using you. Here's how I can help you become the player you dream of being. That was attractive to players. Other coaches and other places right now, the coaches don't even watch film with the players in college when they come on a recruiting trip. They just take them around campus. They take them around the facility. They try to show them, you know, the barbershop and stuff like that. I can remember my first week at the University of North Carolina after a long, long time in the NFL. I called home and I said to Marsh, I got to buy clothes. (laughs) I, I was used to just wearing flip-flops and a sweatsuit. In fact, the same sweatsuit Monday through Friday it night. It could walk on its own. <laughs> Sometimes you know, I would think it was John, actually, I mean, just if, if you walk into an NFL office on like a Wednesday night or a Thursday afternoon, you're going to see some of the foulest <laughs> human beings in the world. Whereas when you're in college, I'm like, what do you mean I have to wear khakis? What do you mean I have to wear? I don't even have loafers. What, where do I go to get them? You know, and uh, I think that was a that was a real difference. It, there's there's an element of glad handing in college that was unattractive to me, but also I think uh, I think it was necessary, but not as necessary as many think it is i think Mm -hmm. players at every level just want to see how good they can get and uh, i recruit a lot of good players just simply showing them how good they could get You've been listening to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century, from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter as well, at Shoops Going Deep.